Well, hey, Bridge family, my name is Marshall Peterson, and I'm one of the pastors here at The Bridge, and I just want to welcome you to our online experience where we are right in the middle of our God Is series. Now, last week, Kurt kicked us off by talking about how God is holy, and he did an incredible job talking about the meaning of holiness and what our response should be when it comes to how we repent from our sin, we surrender our life to Jesus, and how we respond by worshiping God for all that he has done. And he gave us this quote. He said that what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that is so true because we all have this perception of what God is like. Now, some of us, when we think about God, we kind of think of this old Santa Claus, hippie looking guy from the Old Testament, just Old Testament God, where he's distant, doesn't really have anything to do with our lives, yet this is how we portray God. Maybe you think about God like this way, he's just this mean judge, this judge type character that he's ready to just sentence us for all the bad that we've done, everything wrong that we've done in our lives, he's ready to come down and just wreck shop. Or if you shop at Hallmark, you know, you can buy those little cute angels and like, well, if this is what angels look like, then this must be a, just a bigger version of God. And we think God is this cute little angel, but we all have this perception of who God is. Now, none of these actually portray how God really is. And let me tell you, me and my wife, Shannon, we are in this little binge right now where we love crime documentaries, where we're watching uh, the, the Ted Bundy tapes, we're watching Night Stalker, the guy who killed a bunch of people in the 80s in Los Angeles, uh, the vanishing at Cecil Hotel. Like, what happened to that girl? So many things. Now, let me tell you this, we watched this one show where um, it's called Unsolved Mysteries. It's kind of an old one and we're watching it. And you know, at the end, they don't tell you what happened. And so Shannon freaks out like, what happened to the guy? Where did he go? And I said, babe, the show is literally called Unsolved Mysteries. And she's like, whatever, I'm out. So she bailed on that show. Haven't watched an episode since. But when it comes to God, we kind of put on our investigative hats. Right? We, we want to know about, just like in the crime shows where they do a character background with the guy or the girl and you know, what were they about? Why did they go crazy or why did they go missing? Well, with God, we say, well, who is God really? You know, why did he do that in the Bible? Or, or why does he operate this way? And, and does he even exist? And the most important question is this, what does God have to do with me? And we ask that question, and last week, Kurt talked about God is holy. And this week, I'm talking about God is love. And when we think about that and what God has to do with us, that has everything to do with us because we use the word love so often, don't we? We use it on, I love you, I love her, I love this, I love that, I love pizza, I love snow. Nobody says that anymore, especially in Houston. But we know, we think we know what the term love is. But I'm gonna be honest. I think our definition of love falls a little bit short on what God really is when it comes to God is love. Now, scripture talks about how God is love in 1 John 4, 8. It literally says, God is love. But what does that mean? Well, that means that love is his, his characteristic. That is his very being. That's who God is. He is just full of love. And if God is love, that means that love has been around much longer than, the, than the us as humans. It existed way before we came onto the scene. And because God is love, he pours out his love. And the best part about that is that he pours out his love on us. Now, as we get into dis discovering who God is, especially when it comes to the context of love, I wanna go to the Psalms, okay? So Psalm 107, the first part of verse one says this. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord, 
Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Now, when you read scripture, you see Lord all the time. And you might think, well, it's the same way. But in the original Greek or in the original Hebrew writing, this word Lord in this verse refers to Yahweh. Everybody in the chat room, type Yahweh. Let's see who spells it right, okay? But Yahweh, that means that this is who God is, that He is unchanging. He's the same as He's always been. He never, ever changes. And we see this in the the beginning of the nation of Israel. Now, you can read about this in Genesis and Exodus, but I'm gonna give it to you in the short version, the Cliff Notes version, in a couple minutes. Basically, God shows up in this guy, Abraham's life. He was this old guy and God said, Abraham, I'm making a promise to you. I'm gonna make you into a great nation, a nation that outnumbers the grains of sand, the stars in the sky. You are going to be a great nation. And him and his wife, Sarah, were kind of old, but God gave them a child in Isaac. And then Isaac grew up and he had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And through Jacob, we see that he had 12 sons. And one son in particular that focuses on in the book of Genesis is Joseph. Now, Joseph was kind of an egomaniac and he knew that he was Jacob's favorite. And he loved to mention that to his other 11 brothers. And you think they enjoyed that? Do you enjoy when your brother or sister brags to you? No, you wanna punch him in the face. This is almost exactly what they did, but they went a step further. They beat up Joseph, threw him in a pit and ended up selling him to slavery. Joseph ends up in Egypt as a slave, then gets thrown into prison. But throughout Joe's story, we see that God was with Joseph. And so what happens is, push comes to sub, Joseph ends up being second in command in the land of Egypt. And the only person more powerful than Joseph was Pharaoh. Well, famine hits the land, Joseph had a plan, and you've got Jacob, who thinks Joseph's dead, by the way, tells you how awesome his brothers were, but they, they're experiencing famine, so they have to come to Egypt, thinking Joseph's you know, gone out of the picture. Well, Joseph ends up saving the day, brings all the family from Israel to Egypt. They're one big happy family, makes up with brothers, makes up with dad. It's an incredible thing. They live happily ever for the next 200 or 300 years. Fast forward to the scene, and now Joseph is a distant memory. Pharaoh sees all these Israelites everywhere, and he says, we got a problem. These people might rise up and, and take us over, so let's make them slaves. And he enslaved them like something fierce. Brutal, harsh uh, conditions, and just made it miserable. Moses enters the scene. Moses gets mixed up, runs away, and remember, God, Yahweh, always unchanging, is always the same, he's consistent, shows up to Moses because he hears the distress and the call of the Israelites who are now in slavery. And he remembers his promise. And look what he says to Moses. And he comes in the form of a burning bush. He says this, God replies to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. God is telling Moses, when you go to free the people, tell them I am sent you. Tell them that Yahweh sent you because that communicates to the people of Israel that the God who made a promise to Abraham to make him into a great nation, not an enslaved nation, is going to deliver you from slavery, is going to deliver you to the land that I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am with you. And so when we go to Psalm 107, this isn't just a a simple worship song. When it says give thanks to the Lord, it's reminding us this is the God 
of unchanging, the God who keeps his promise. We serve a promise-keeping God. So let's go back to Psalm 107 and finish that verse to see what it says, because we are discovering who God is. He says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for he for his steadfast love endures forever. What we have here is a God who is good. Yahweh who is a promise-keeping God. Yahweh who, who is good, who we give thanks to this God, who is a loving, loving God. Now, you gotta ask the question, as we're discovering who God is, why would this God want anything to do with me? Because He's a, a holy, pure, promise-keeping God, but what does He want to do with me? Because I know who I am, I'm nothing significant. I know what I've done, and it probably doesn't line up with how good this God is. I know what I've thought, I know what I've doubted, I know what I've said, where I've been. Why does God want anything to do with me? Because God is love. Now this love, this steadfast love that we see in Psalm 107.1, steadfast love is translated in the Hebrew word hesed love, which means loyal love. This means that we serve a God who is love, who is committed to us. He is determined. And hesed love isn't just an emotion. You're like, oh, I'll get these lovey-dovey feelings. You know, Valentine's Day over. We're talking about hesed love. This is an active love. This is a love that we see poured out on somebody else and we get to be that person. Now, a great example in scripture of this type of love is found in the book of Ruth. Now, we see the story of Ruth beginning with a lady named Naomi. And famine hits the nation of Israel and Naomi and her family, her husband and her two boys go to a different land. But wouldn't you have it, the family catches up to them, her husband dies, and her, her, her sons married foreign, foreign wives. And then next thing you know is that her two sons die. I mean, the beginning of the Book of Ruth is like 2020 all over again. It is not a good scene. And so Naomi is so distraught, so distressed, that she says, you know what? I'm so sad, I don't want you to call me Naomi anymore. I want you to call me bitter. Just call me bitterness. Don't call me Nene. Don't even call me Mimi. I am bitter. This is how sad that I am. And she tells her daughter and daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah. But what she tells them, she says, you know what? I'm so sad. I'm so bitter. Just go back. Go back home. Just leave me alone. I'm going back to Israel. Just, just leave me. And here's where we see Hesed love because Ruth replies when she says this. Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. That's committed love. That's a love that's not just words because if you read the rest of the book of Ruth, what we see is that she actively loves Naomi. She goes out searching for food and favor for Naomi. Now one time she stumbles into the field of a man named Boaz. Now Boaz is significant in the life of Naomi because he's a distant relative. Naomi has lost everything and Boaz has the opportunity to redeem her property, meaning he can buy it back. He can get it back to keep it in the family. And he also has the ability to marry Ruth legally to carry on the family name. Now he doesn't have to do this, but what we're gonna see that Boaz shows, just like Ruth showed Naomi, he's going to show Hesed love. And he does what he has to do and he redeems, he gets back that property and ends up marrying Ruth. He didn't have to. In fact, he didn't need to. 
His life was just fine. We don't see that Boaz was in distress. We don't see that anything was going on. But he sees a need because if he didn't do anything, Naomi and Ruth are stuck, begging, desolate, and alone. Bitterness. But he shows Hesed love. He, he gets the property back and he marries Ruth. And guess what happens? They have a son named Obed. And guess who Obed is? Obed is the grandfather of David, King David that we, re that we read about, direct descendant of Jesus. So now what we have, Ruth, or we have Naomi who lost everything. Ruth shows Hesed love. She gains a family. She gains a, a place in scripture. Boaz gets property back, gets, his, gets to carry on his family name, and they are in the lineage of Jesus. You see, when they showed Hesed love, they had something to gain. They got something back. Here's the difference between their, that kind of Hesed love and God's Hesed love. God's Hesed love, God doesn't need anything from us. And if we're completely honest, we don't really have anything to offer God. Yet He shows His love towards us, even though He doesn't need it. In fact, he describes his own Hesed love back to Moses in Exodus 34. Y'all listen to this. He's talking to Moses up on the mountain. He's giving him the Ten Commandments, and this is what he says. He says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. You see how God describes himself? He describes himself as gracious, as merciful, as loving for generations and generations. A God, Yahweh, who does not change. And you know what was happening down below the mountain when he's saying this? He had just given Moses the law, says, to have no other gods before me. What are the Israelites doing? Creating another God. While God is saying that he is gracious and merciful, they're breaking the very law that he has given Moses. Now it's important that you watch last week, this week, and next week because Kenny is gonna talk about how God is just. But as we talk about how God is love, even though he knows what's happening right now is being broken, he still loves. So no matter what we do, no matter where we go, we can't change who God is because the essence of God's being is love. He can't help himself. So we have to ask a question, where are we? You might think, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. You don't know where I've been. I don't think God can love me. And we think that we can be so bad that God would just lay down his grace, lay down his mercy. But we're forgetting a key component here. We're forgetting the name of Jesus, the power that is in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus embodies Hesed love. Jesus shows us that Hesed love, that even though we may have broken the law, Jesus' body was broken, going to the cross. And it, it, listen, how do we know this happens? I can tell you because in Romans 5.8, he says, but God demonstrates his own love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means that we were walking away from God. We have turned our back on God. And yet Jesus still walked to the cross knowing that some people might not turn back. That's Hesed love. That's committed, unchanging love. And we think, no, I'm too bad. I am too bad. I, I, I drank last night, I used again. I, I, I put this in my body. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you really think what you put in your veins trumps 
the blood that, rose, that flows through Jesus. That no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, the power of Jesus is far greater than what we could ever do. Because God is love. He can't help himself. So just like Kurt talked about last week, what's our response? What's our response to this love, this loving God who is holy, who is love, who pours out this love on us? The response that we have, maybe we think that it's some sort of discipline, some sort of devotion, some sort of um, just focus, but what if it was simply believing the gospel, believing that God is love, believing that no matter what we do, we can't change who God is. No matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, that God loves us no matter what. So maybe you've been walking with God for a long time, but maybe this week, take a few minutes and just think about that. Think about the gospel. Think about what Jesus did. Easter's coming up. Think about what that means and what that displays. Hesed, committed love. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, there's not a better time to do that right now. It's simple, it's not difficult. You just simply say, God, I've messed up. I can't get out of this pit on my own. I need you. I put my trust in what you did on the cross. Thank you for saving me. It's as easy as that. It's as easy as that. And again, no matter where you are, you might be on top of the world and you might be in the lowest valley. Doesn't matter because God is love. You might be sober or you might be so wrapped up in an addiction you don't see a way out. God is love. You know, here we are in Galveston. Maybe you've heard the seagulls or the wind or the waves behind me. And you think about God as love and how powerful that statement is. It's like the, the waves coming back here on, on the beach. You know, there's this, the, once upon a time, we're underneath Pleasure Pier. This wasn't here. The waves were still crashing. Over here, I'm looking at condos. I'm looking at, at people getting ready to, to have beach parties. The waves are still crashing. And this is just a small part of the ocean. And we are seeing just a small part of God's love in our life. But you know what? God's love continually crashes into our life over and over and over. Doesn't matter our circumstance, doesn't matter our surroundings, doesn't matter what our behavior is. We can't change God. He loves us, He loves you so much. And I think our biggest challenge isn't necessarily our focus, our discipline, or our devotion. I think our biggest challenge is simply believing that God is love. It'll change your life if you let it. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your holiness. Thank you for your love, God. Thank you that you've chosen us to follow you, God. I pray that this week, no matter what's going on, that we would simply believe that you are love, that we can't change you on our behavior because you are Yahweh. You are an unchanging God. I pray for the person who has never surrendered to you, God, that they would simply lean into that, that they would surrender like Kurt talked about last week, surrender to your love, that you might pour out their lo your love on their life and they experience freedom in a way that they never have before. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for, for just pouring out your Hesed love on us and never leaving us. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.